0: To pretend you read it the podcast about classic literature hi I'm Sam your host and I'm so 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 pleased to be back with you for part two of Anna Karenina so now after like three years of on and off reading I have finally finished this book and all I can say is that it is a huge sigh of relief one that's just like really long and like really long and two it's just a bit grueling Um, not that I'm against books that are long. It's just that I reasons uh, we'll get there. It's one of those things that towards the end, you're just like, Oh God, light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So let's get back to mother Russia, shall we? And we'll wrap this up. So where we last left off was with Anna and Vronsky shacking up abroad. Um, so this seems to be the obvious solution but hey guess what word travels and they only meet other russians abroad and those russians are smug ass bitches who do not want to speak to anna or have like anything to do with her but vronsky and anna kind of try their best to make the most of the situation and anna Although they both become sort of like patrons of the arts, and Vronsky tries to become a painter. But it is noted that he basically, he thinks he's super talented, but in reality kind of really has nothing going on in that department. And there's kind of a funny bit about them commissioning a local artist who is basically like, ugh, I roll, these rich assholes. Um, So that's kind of amusing. But uh, meanwhile levin is living in self-imposed exile out in the country after the whole rejection from kitty and contemplating the meaning of life and all that um during this kitty is abroad herself living in like germany i think at a hot spring or something and she meets this one girl varenka who is just like so pious and she's this like adopted daughter of this other lady madame stahl and um who's supposed to be this sort of, like, religious, super religious lady, but in reality isn't, but Varenka super is, and Kitty's like, wow, I want to be like Varenka, who's just, like, so pure and pious, and la la la, and, like, such a good person just without anyone asking her to, uh, whereas Madame Stahl's kind of a hypocrite because she says she's really religious, but in reality is just kind of not, and, yeah. um, So that's all happening, and Kitty kind of has this, like, aha moment where she's like oh i really do love levin and da 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 even though i think she's like 16 this whole time but okay um so back to levin out in the countryside he's kind of like well yeah maybe i'll marry a peasant girl since he kind of views the peasants who work on his land in this kind of weird envious way um initially it kind of seems to be like thing where like poor little rich boy envies the simple life he just wants a simple life you know he just wants to get married and have a family and work the land and da 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 but we'll get more into that later um bounce back to anna and vronsky when they decide to go back to russia but live at vronsky's country estate and there they again try to take up some other hobbies to keep them occupied like being philanthropists to like the local village uh, the reality is that Anna is blacklisted from society and Vronsky is trying to show some solidarity and restrict his activities yeah, activities to uh non-society things. However, his mom and friends keep inviting him to things knowing full well that Anna won't be able to come, which is super shitty. Um but nobody likes her, right? Even his own his mom is like, "Oh, like she's ruining your reputation. You need to just leave her and like, you know, move on and you know, get married, actually, yada, yada, um, so one night, she's, like, fuck this, and she goes to the opera, Vronsky's, like, don't go, don't go, and she's, like, no, fuck you, like, I'm going to the opera, I'm, I love the opera, I'm going, and literally, people get up and leave, like, she has the plague, like, as soon as she sits down, people, are like, Egh. and it's one step, you know, it's one step shy of people practically spitting on her, and she's just, super humiliated um but once again I emphasize the hypocrisy of all this in that Vronsky shows up and it's totally fine like him being there is no big deal but Anna has like a blazing thought sign on her forehead somehow and it's just so stupid but um there were signs before sprinkled here and there obviously you are building a relationship based on an affair which is usually not a good sign I mean it happens sometimes and it works out but like Generally not, you know, is, that is the exception, not the rule. Um, but around, it's around this point in the book that you see the real signs of their relationship starting to crumble. And Anna becomes, like, insanely jealous over Vronsky's time. Um, and you just having him around. And he becomes, like, weirdly spiteful about that time. He even has a line where he's like, She may have my love, but not my masculine independence. And he kind of relishes in doing things on his own time without her. And I'd be lying if I didn't say that I sympathize with her in some way. Because she's getting the short end of the stick in all this. You know, especially for the time period and all. Um, But she also, you know, stews over her own resentment of him. Which just, you know, it ain't healthy, girl. So she initially didn't want the divorce from her husband. But at this point, I think she's just, like, desperate. And she's like, okay, fine, like... Fine, I'll never see my son again, but, like, just fucking divorce me and, like, I can get remarried and all that. But then, you know, she'd still be in that same situation where she'd be someone else's wife. So Steva steps in and tries to help arrange this divorce and meets up with Alexei Alexandrovich, a.k.a. Karenin, a.k.a. Anna's husband. Uh, Since his sort of come-to-Jesus moment, he's become rather close to Countess Lydia, who is sort of a religious fanatic. Um, And she's very into spiritualism and is kind of convinced Karenin to get on the bandwagon, too. And they consult this psychic about whether or not he should get a divorce. And the drunk-ass psychic says, nah. So that's basically the kibosh on her future, which is, again, such bullshit. But uh, Levin, at this point, runs into Dolly, who is visiting nearby. And she knows he has a thing for Kitty and tries to convince him that she actually does have feelings for him. Um, and uh, he refuses to accept this, but eventually, kind of can't keep it out of his mind. And he reapproaches her. Uh, she spills the beans and admits her feelings, and he's super stoked. They get engaged ASAP, and he kind of floats through the entire thing, sort of like in a dream. He's just like so happy that you know that he's in that situation that he's like, Okay, it's cool, yay, oh my god, this is great. So they spend a good amount of time in Moscow, which he totally hates, and eventually they go back to his country estate to set up house. Um, After some period of adjusting, they eventually get into the swing of married life, and then Kitty is pregnant. Surprise! Levin is kind of a worrywart, so he spends pretty much the entirety of her pregnancy fretting about it and, like, in a perpetual state of anxiety. And eventually, you know, she goes into labor, and he has, like, a panic attack during the entire thing. But when his son is finally born, he interestingly is kind of repulsed by him. Um, He says that he sees him for the first time and doesn't feel love, but, quote, disgust and pity. So from there begins the real emotional overhaul for Levin that takes place throughout the rest of the book. Um, Back to Anna and Vronsky, they're on the outs big time, like literally cannot stop fighting. And she's become convinced that he's interested in this young princess that his mom keeps throwing at him. He's not helping himself really at all by acting cold and aloof, but even though he keeps saying, like, you know, he loves her and all of that. And so she becomes increasingly paranoid, but is also like really spiteful. So she keeps talking about how she has to do something and what is to become of her, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Vronsky leaves one day to meet up with a friend and then his mom afterwards. And Anna basically having like a mental breakdown during all this decides that she has to go meet with him and like apologize for their fight that they'd had the past few days. And, you know, um, halfway there, you know, she's kind of bouncing back and forth between like, I can't go. I, I have to go. I shouldn't go like da da Um, so she had earlier sent a tele telegram to him, um, via like a courier and Saying, like, you know, I have to meet you. You need to meet me, like, ASAP. I'll be on the train. Da-la-la. La la. And she gets a reply when she's at the train station. Saying, basically, basically like, oh, Saz, I can't come. Oops. You know? So, she decides that I'm there to basically make him weep for her forever. Okay, we've all had these thoughts in a breakup at one point or another in our lives. Like, I bet if I died, you'd be sorry. But PSA... Don't kill yourself over boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever, no matter how seemingly dire or fucked up. Like the best revenge is living well and you can take that shit to the bank. But back to Anna overwhelmed and feeling like she's basically got no other option. She walks down the station platform and after getting cold feet with the first passing train, she throws herself under the second one. Um, it's, described as like she has a second where she prays like oh god let this be quick basically and then feeling something heavy hit her on the head it's all over for Anna Karenina Uh, shortly after we find ourselves with Sergei Ivanovich who is a political writer and also one of Levin's brothers he has two one of them is a drunken alcoholic um, he's on his way to the countryside to stay with Levin and on the train there, there are a bunch of volunteers going to fight for some cause in Serbia. He notices that one of them is Ronsky, and he has obviously heard about what happened. Everyone has, um, and though he doesn't bring it up, Vronsky is visibly heartbroken and grieving. Um, uh, they have kind of like a brief exchange and Vronsky Rons- goes off to what we can assume to be war and honestly, just de gaffs about living or dying at this point. He's just like, I don't care. Uh, so Sergey makes it to Levin's, where Levin is having his own come-to-Jesus thing. He chats more with the peasants, and after having a son, um, kind of has this true spiritual epiphany about the meaning of life and God and all that. And it doesn't necessarily make him change his lifestyle or anything. Um, but rather gives him sort of like comfort in everyday life. So the final words of the novel are quote, I shall go on in the same way, losing my temper with Ivan the coachman, falling into angry discussions, expressing my opinions tactlessly. There will be still the same wall between the holy of holies of my soul and other people, even my wife. I shall still go on scolding her for my own terror and being remorseful for it. I shall still be as unable to understand with my reason why I pray, and I shall still go on praying. But my life now, my whole life, apart from anything that can happen to me, every minute of it is no more meaningless as it was before, but it has the positive meaning of goodness, which I have the power to put into it." If you like Levin, then you would have liked Tolstoy, because Levin was Tolstoy's way of inserting himself partially into the story. A lot of his spiritual doubts and later revelations are Tolstoy's own, and I guess Levin's story running parallel to Anna's is what keeps the book from becoming like too much of a soap opera. Levin still bothered me, though, and I'm not sure how much I would have liked Tolstoy in real life with all this endless droning on about like the meaning of life and blah 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 and God and yada yada. I guess some people do like to ponder on such topics, so if that's you, then get cracking on this book. Uh, There are a few minutes during the Anna storyline where I was like, damn, that's some real shit. And it just goes to show you that shit relationships don't ever change, even if they're from 2018 or 1818 or any time period that's ever been. Personally, while I think the book is deserving of the title of classic, I could have honestly lived without ever having read it. Uh, Sometimes I've noticed that about a lot of classic literature... And particularly those written by male authors, and this is neither here nor there in particular. It's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. It's just an observation. It's just like the long-windedness of it all. Tolstoy and Dickens and all of that, like several other authors, they just love to like drone on with endless description. But I will give a pass to my homie Jules Verne, because he could describe anything forever as long as he wants. Um, But a lot of female writers, they, you know, have the description in there, some more than others, obviously, every writer's different. But I just noticed, generally kind of tend to be more focused on, like, terse dialogue, like getting the point across, unless you're Stephanie Meyer, in which case that's a different story altogether. But, um, yeah, just an observation. But thank you again for tuning in to Pretend You Read It. And I'm so pleased you've listened. And I'm so glad we're done with this book. (laughs) Ye Girl is kind of tapped out on Russian Lit for a while, so don't expect any more of that in the near future. Um, I'm cruising through the list of books I've got on tap, most of which are much shorter than this one. There are several that are quite a bit longer. Not looking forward to those, but those won't be for a while. So we will see what's next in the pipeline. Also, I am open to requests. So if you're curious about hearing, you know, one book in particular, let me know. Follow me on the social media things at pyri P-Y-R-I-Pod, on both Twitter and Instagram. And let me know what you want to hear. I would love to know. So let me read all the things you want me to read. Yes, as long as it's before 1930, publication date. Like, I'm all about it. So, yes, all right happy reading, and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye!